Uh, we've been in a series called The Master, and I, I've been teaching on a Jesus, the Master. The Bible says that He's Master of Heaven, He's Master of Earth, He's actually Master of Hell, that He's Lord of everything. He has the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the firstborn from the dead, the, the Lion of Judah. I mean, come on, we could go on and on about He's the Master, the only person to enter the death experience and master it. I I mean, he is master. So we've been looking at uh, characteristics of the master. But not only that, whenever the master moves in you, the Bible says that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, that a thousand may fall at one side and ten thousand on the other, but it won't come nigh thee. That whenever the master moves in you, he'll show you how to master your emotions, master your relationships, master your finances, master your mouth. He'll show you how to master different areas or facets of your life if you'll submit to really the lordship of Jesus Christ and not just Jesus as savior the master he just he just show you how to win in life all through revelations it talks about the overcomer and it says this is the overcomer this is the overcomer this is the overcomer and God's called us to be overcomers he just is listen whenever the master the greater one lives in you then he lives in you and he's with you and he and he'll help you but a couple of weeks ago I did a teaching called Bass Master and the reason it was called Bass Master is I was uh, talking about introducing other people to the master and Jesus likened reaching people to fishing that he approached his disciples and, and one, one place it says that they were washing their nets and then another place it says that they were mending their nets and then another place it says that they were casting their nets and, and they're, they're constantly, they're doing this fishing but whenever Jesus approached them he says if you'll follow me I'll make you a fisher of men. Or in other words, the same way that you catch or reach fish, uh, he said, I'll show you how to catch or reach people. And there's different methods for catching fish, and there's different places for catching fish. You know, I'm new uh, to southwest Louisiana. Uh, I'm in Alexandria. In Alexandria, you, you've, you fish in ponds, and you fish in rivers, or ditches, or creeks, or whatever. You know, I've dipped net everywhere, all over. I mean, I feel like I'm a, a dip net king, that, that I grew up uh, fishing and doing all that kind of stuff. But down here, it's all salt water. And I don't know anything really about salt water fishing. Not even sure if I like it yet. Uh, down here, so, so there's different there's different places that you can fish there's different baits there's different methods in the new testament uh, we see them using nets but also jesus told peter he said peter take a line and take a hook and go to this spot throw the lion the not the lion throw the line in the water and he says you're going to catch a fish and that fish is going to have enough money in its mouth i mean we should catch fish like that just a whole stringer, right? And Jesus said, listen, there's going to be enough fish, fish, enough money in that fish's mouth that you'll be able to pay my taxes and you'll also be able to pay your taxes. And I believe the same thing is true for every individual. Every individual counts to Jesus. Every individual has within it something that he needs for his life, for his ministry, but not just for him. We're all connected. None of us are alone or an island. That there was enough money in that fish's mouth to take care of Peter, but to also take care of Jesus. But as I was 
a, a study in a, just a couple of weeks ago about Mass Master. I, I got in bed. I mean, I like your bed. I, I got in bed and was about to go to sleep. And, and the Lord just, just gave me a picture. And, and it really has stuck with me. And I've been meditating on it the past couple of weeks. And that was just of, of a fish out of water. I'm laying there about to go to bed, really not uh, thinking about a whole lot. You know, I was just just kind of ready to go to sleep. And the Lord just dropped this image of a fish just flopping on the bank. Flip, flop, flip, flop. And I actually brought a fish this morning. Now, listen, let me just tell you. Me and Noble went fishing yesterday, and I don't fish all the time. I grew up, I grew up kind of fishing. Are you going to catch my fish? Yeah, bring it up here. Now, I actually, I showed Noble a rite of passage yesterday. We had a moment. How many of y'all have moments before? Me and, me, and, me and Noble had a moment because I grew up uh, going to my grandparents' every summer and I would spend uh, a week at Mamaw Rachel's and then like a half a mile away was Paul and Retha's. Y'all about to get education right now on me. So I would spend a week at Paul and Retha's. Now I didn't call Paul, Paul and uh, Retha, Retha. They were my Mamaw and my Papaw. Now it's gotten to be very uh, hip these days to come up with alternative names to Mama and Papa, like I don't have that. We have Mimi and Nana, but back then I had Mama, which was Mama Rachel, and she was she was she was funny. She was awesome. I would stay at her house for a week, and she would fix me Tostino's pizzas, and I would sit on the floor, and uh, she only got two channels. So for a week, I would watch uh, The Young and the Restless, As the World Turns, and then at night we would watch Dallas and Walker Texas Ranger. And that, that was our shows. And if I tried to change the channel, she would wake up because she slept. She don't, even, she don't even know how she knew what was going on. She slept through all of them. But the moment you change the channel, she's like, oh, don't mess with my stories. She called them her stories. She's like, oh, don't mess with my stories. So, uh, so I would spend a week with Mama Rachel, and then at night she, would, she wrapped her head in toilet paper. I don't know why. I'm serious. Yeah, my wife will tell you. Uh, it was embarrassing because she would come and stay with us during the summer and I didn't want my friends coming over because they would be like, who rolled your grandmother? <laughs> because it's like, that's not right. But she would, she would, she wrapped her head in. Some of y'all may have grandparents like this because they only go to the beauty place. How often? Once a week, baby. And they only wash that hair once a week. So she would wrap her hair in toilet paper and bobby pin it. And then she would take olive Olay and Pond's cold cream and just, she would shine. I mean, it's like you could watch Dallas off of her face. I mean, it was just like horribly shiny. And then she would smile and she'd say, it keeps me from getting wrinkles. And, of course, she's totally wrinkled. It hasn't worked. She spent all this money on Pond's cold cream and, and, and uh, olive Olay. And then she would, we would do exercises together. And we would do this. The exercises were very generic exercises. And then we would do this, me and my grandmother. And uh, she didn't have a lock on her door. That There was a slit, and she had a butcher knife that locked the door. So it slid in through the door jam. It was the best lock in the whole world. I mean, you couldn't kick that door down. And it was like a weapon. If anybody was there, uh, then you knew that was standard protocol. You had a knife right there. But I would spend a week with my grandmother, and then a half a mile away, I would go and stay with my mama and my papa. 
because they were real close. So the story would go that my dad would walk out of the back of the dairy farm and he would cut through the woods and my mom would walk out of her back uh, house, out of her backyard, and they would cut through some other people's property and they would meet in the woods. And that's how they started dating. What were they doing in the woods? Who knows? But uh, they met in the woods, they got married, and they had us. So I would spend a week at my mom Rachel's, a week at, at my grandfather's. And at my grandfather's, he has a stock pond. Now, I don't know if you know anything about fishing, but stock pond fishing is awesome. It's great. I mean, every time you put the hook in the water, things bite. And I grew up fishing with my dad, and you may go all day and only catch one fish or two fish. But my grandfather, he, would, he, he had a stock pond, and we would, he would take a cup of gasoline, and we would find giant wasp nests in the barn. And he would throw gas on the wasp nest, and all the wasps would fall on the ground and would die. And he would take a cane pole and would knock the wasp nest down, and that's what we fished with. If you tear the cap, this is a long story, but this is what I showed Noble yesterday. Noble, uh, for the first time, I showed him I got a wasp nest and I got the wasp off of it. And if you tear the cap off of that wasp, there's a little, uh, it's a baby larvae that's in there. It dawned on me yesterday that while I'm going to be telling this story that I don't tear, tell to a whole lot of people, that, that it's really a maggot is... <laughs> That's <laughs> really what you're fishing with. But I grew up, that's what we would do. We would sit on a five-gallon bucket, and every time we needed a bait, you just tear the top off of that wasp nest. You stick the hook in there. You hook that little larvae. And the moment you put it in the, in the, in the water, we would catch fish after fish after fish after fish. So Noble, yesterday, we did it. We went through the whole process, and I showed him. He was fascinated. His eyes are about this big around like... Oh, my God, I've never seen like this. But, but I would sit there at my grandparents, and we would just catch fish after fish after fish. But there came a point that my grandfather would shut the fishing down because I would fish all day if he would let me because it, sometimes it's fun to catch the fish. But my grandfather knew that there was stuff that was coming after the catch, that in order for these fish to be useful to us, there, there was some work that had to go into it. There was some cleaning. There, there, the head had to be cut off. The scales had to be removed. And there had to be a baking or a cooking of these fish in order for it to be productive or to be useful. In the New Testament, we see Jesus. And, and the most famous story we have of Jesus is Jesus feeding the 5,000. And we all know the story. It's very common that John the Baptist has just gotten his head cut off. And Jesus and John were cousins and very close. That's who baptized Jesus. And the Bible says that after John was beheaded, Jesus went to a deserted place to be alone, to mourn. He wanted to be by himself. But the Bible says that the, the multitudes found Jesus and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. And I, I, just a side note, if you ever go through depression or you're in a season of mourning, I believe that you can follow Jesus' example. And the best way to come out of that is just find a way to serve and have compassion and reach other people. That, that's, that, that, that if you feel like I, I, I can't make it or I'm depressed, if you'll find some people to love on and to reach, if you'll follow his example, then it'll bring you out of that funkiness. So he comes right out of that. He heals all those people. 
But at the end of the day, the disciples come to him and say, listen, we got to turn these people away. It's time for them to go eat. And we know the story. Jesus says, no, you sit them down. We're going to feed them. And they said, well, we don't have enough money to feed all of these people. That It would take hundreds of dollars to feed these people. And he says, bring me what you do have. And the Bible says that he brings, what, five loaves and two fishes. But in order for those fish to be useful to the master and in order for those fish to be useful to the, to the multitudes, there was a preparation that went into those fish. One chapter later, he does it again when he feeds the 4,000. This time, he has seven loaves and a few small fish. But something had to happen to those fish. When we know that after he had risen from the dead, that, that he's walking down the beach and he sees Peter and the disciples and they're out there fishing and they've, they've been fishing all night long and Jesus says, do you have anything to eat? And they don't know that it's Jesus and they say, no, we haven't caught anything. So he says, throw your net on the other side of the boat. And, and of course, they're probably thinking, I don't want to. But they did. And the Bible says that whenever they threw their net on the other side, they caught 153 fish. And the moment that they realized that their net was full, John says, it is the Lord. In other words, he recognized the blessing of God, the power of God. And the Bible says that Peter put on his overcoat and he ran, jumped in the water and starts swimming. Where is he going? He's headed to the bank. And as he gets to the bank, the Bible says that Jesus has prepared breakfast for him. That on the coal of fire is some fish and some bread. And, and I love the next verse is that he says, take the fish that you have caught, bring them to me and we're going to prepare them or we're going to eat them. But every fish or every time that we see Jesus using these fish, there's, there's a process that goes forward. So, so whenever the Lord was speaking to me that night and he just gave me the, the picture of a fish that's out of water. Now this fish, he is so cute took me forever to catch this little fish. Bassmaster, you like this trophy? I mean, he, he's, he's a fish and he's totally alive. And yet here, the, whenever the Lord showed it to me, he, he just showed me a fish. Now, now listen, all of you, automatically it draws a reaction and you're like, that poor fish, what are you doing to the fish? Pick him up. Put him back. Pick him up. You're killing him. We have to help the fish. Immediately, y'all, look at all the ladies. They're like, you better pick that fish up. And you better put him back in there. I'm not coming to a church where you're fish murderers. Just give me a second. Give me a second. We're going to save the fish. I'll release Nemo here in just a minute. But the Lord, the same, the same reaction I had whenever the Lord is, is talking to me. And he's just showing me. And I'm just watching that fish flip-flop out of the water. And the Lord said very clear to me, He says, many people, they'll flip-flop through Christianity without ever being prepared for the Master's use. That they've been caught and they've been taken out of the wilderness of sin. In the Old Testament, they wandered in the wilderness of sin, S-I-N. And there, the, the wilderness of sin was at the bottom of Mount Sinai. And Moses would go up to Mount Sinai and the, the fire of God would hit that mountain. That whole mountain would vibrate and would shake. And Moses was given the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. But down at the bottom of Mount 
Mount Sinai. He told Moses, he said, you're the only one that's allowed to come up this mountain. Nobody else can approach this mountain. They have to wander in the wilderness of sin. Well, we know that Moses is a type of Jesus in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we have Jesus. And, and, but, but in the Old Testament, we couldn't approach God. We were left to wander in the wilderness of sin. But in the New Testament, Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, he is says now that we all have equal access to the presence of God. It says neither by the blood of goats and cats, but with his own precious blood, he entered once into the holy place, obtained eternal redemption for us, and now we can draw near with a full heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled and our conscience cleaned from an evil conscience. That now, by the blood of Jesus, we can totally approach God's presence. Noah built an ark for the saving of his family. And, and we sometimes think of Noah... Y'all are starting to cry. Uh, we, we sometimes think of Noah as, as a big boat and the animals are sticking their head out the window and Noah's there on his family like, ooh, aloha. And that's the way we picture Noah. But you got to understand that as the, the waters rose, the Bible says people were trying to claw their way into that ship. But the door had been closed. And Noah is floating in an ocean of depravity. He's floating in an ocean of misery. But, but that ark is what he built uh, to save his family. Well, in the New Testament, we're riding on the ark of the cross. And we're floating on the ark of the cross. And we're surrounded by people that need to be reached. They need a line or a hook or they need a net cast and then we bring them onto the ark of the cross. The Bible says that, that just as Noah built that ark, Jesus has given us the ark of the cross. But, but once we catch these people and bring them into the kingdom of God, for, for there to be usefulness from them, preparation has to happen. Me and Noble like to watch a show uh, called uh, Deadliest Catch. How many of you ever watched Deadliest Catch? My wife don't like to watch it. You like to watch it? God bless you, lady child. Not all ladies like to watch uh, a deadliest catch. Uh, my wife doesn't care for it. In fact, she goes into the other room and doesn't like to watch. But me and Noble, we like to watch it. Ansley don't care anything about it either. These women. Uh, just kidding. Uh, we, we, uh, me and Noble, we like to sit there and we watch Deadliest Catch. And, and, and if, you don't, if you aren't familiar with it, it's a giant boat that are out in the Barren Sea. And, and they, uh, it's an incredibly dangerous job. And one month they're catching codfish. Another month they're catching heron. Another month they're catching a filial crab. Another month they're catching king crab. There's different seasons and different baits. And it's incredibly dangerous. But there's enough value in what they're catching that it's worth them risking their life in order to bring it on board. And I mean, I know in America, we don't go through this a lot, but there are places that it's, it's incredibly dangerous to go ahead and purpose your life to reach people. That as you're floating on the Ark of the Cross, there's some countries where, where it's very dangerous for you to set yourself apart to be somebody that brings people onto the Ark. But, but here, this deadliest catch, they're, they're, they're using these different methods to reach these different people and then we we all we like wicked tuna has everybody seen wicked tuna no we, wicked tuna uh we watch that wicked tuna that they catch uh, just one fish at a time with a hook but but with that one fish just day before yesterday we we're watching it, one fish was worth nine grand what a great fish 
they catch one fish, one hook, one line, and, and they take that fish on, and it's $9,000 for one fish. What's my point? Well, after that, they'll actually show you what happens after the catch. That, that sometimes we think about it's fun catching fish. And whenever I talked to you about Bassmaster a couple weeks ago about purposing in your heart to reach people and, and, and introduce them to the master. This week, I, I want you to purpose in your heart. I really want to challenge you. There's two areas that I want to challenge you on your little uh, book there. I say book, your, your bulletin there. There's a couple challenges there, and we're going to read these verses here together if I have time. What's my time? Okay, we're okay. I want to challenge you. Some of you have maybe, maybe never submitted yourself to the discipleship process. And you've been taken out of the wilderness of sin or you've gotten onto the ark of the cross, but, but you've never allowed yourself to go through the process of discipleship, which just means getting prepared for the master's use. For this fish right here, and he's a good fish, he's a nice fish, wonderful fish. But if this fish is never, never brought to a process of preparation, then, then, you know, lots of Christians, they can just flip-flop through five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years of Christianity. They're a fish out of water, and they've been taken out of this, out of their natural environment, and they're left just flopping on the ground. And either they, they've never been taught, well, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ instead of just uh, to have salvation? What's it mean for Jesus to be my Lord instead of just my Savior? It's easy to submit to Jesus as Savior because everybody wants to go to heaven. But cleaning fish is hard work. My grandpa, whenever we're sitting on that bucket, and I want to keep catching. Woohoo! It's fun. It's fun. Grandpa knows in about 10 minutes, it's not going to be fun. You're going to want to go inside and watch TV, and I'm going to be left with a bucket of fish because not everybody likes to go through the process of cleaning fish. The creator of the universe poured his life into 12 folks for three years. He paid all their bills. What a sacrifice, what a, a, what a commitment uh, to these individuals. It's a lot of work to, to go through the discipleship process. He had 12, but he really invested most of his time in just three individuals. So you may go through your whole life and only pour your life into three people. But I can tell you this, it's worth it. It's better than just flopping through life and saying, I'm saved. I'm not in the wilderness of sin. I'm on the ark of the cross and I'm, I'm floating in a sea of, uh, of, of, of torture really, but I'm safe. But listen, it's our responsibility. I told you two weeks ago, number one, to get people into the ark. Uh, this week, I, I'm talking about discipleship. So I've got some verses here that I want to show you on what does it mean to actually be a follower of Jesus. What does it actually mean to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? My challenge to you is, is number one, is, is if you've never submitted to discipleship, then I challenge you to do that. If you say, I've been, I've been saved for 10 years, I've been saved for 20 years, I've been saved for 20 years, but God's never used me to do nothing. I've never reached anybody. Then I challenge you to, to, to go ahead and start 
the process. If you are a committed Christian, you say, listen, I've been saved. I'm a disciple. I read my Bible. I say my prayers. I follow. I witness. I invite people to church. I'm a devoted follower of Jesus. Then my challenge to you is, is take, uh, don't, don't just be good at catching people, but purpose in your heart uh, to find somebody. I would pray and ask the Spirit of God, God, who can I take from uh, just being a convert and who can I help walk through the process of discipleship? So at the end of 2013 or at the end of 2014, at the end of 2015, I don't just have a string or a fish, but I actually have some stuff that's ready to be used by the master, that is ready to be used uh, to feed the multitudes or just to benefit Peter with the, with the fish, with the money in his mouth. The, the first scripture I want to show you here is in John. If you got your Bible, if you don't have your Bible, then shame on you. Just kidding. We'll put it on the screen. Now, actually, uh, these scriptures are going to be an Amplified this morning. If you don't know what the Amplified Bible is, it's awesome. Just trust me. The first verse I want to show you here is in John chapter 15. Every one of these verses here has the word disciple in it. And uh, I, this is really, I want to show you what it means to be a disciple. Now, you understand I could have put 50 verses on your little paper, but you'd have need glasses or a magnifying glass. I didn't want to do that to you. So I narrowed it down to about five or six verses that have to do with being a disciple. And these verses would be in red letter on your, your bulletin here, but we didn't want to. Uh, <laughs> if you had a Bible, you'd know. You would know that they were in red letters. But if you don't have a Bible, then oh well. John chapter 15, verse 7 and 8, it says, If you abide in me, again, this is Jesus talking. And he says, If you abide vitally united to me, and my words remain in you, and they continue to live in your hearts, you can ask whatever you will. Everybody say whatever. Well, it's pretty good right there. It says you can ask whatever you will. Whatever you want. What's whatever mean? It, just whatever. It means whatever. Whatever you will, it shall be done for you. And, and when you bear much fruit or whenever you produce much fruit, my Father is honored and glorified. And you show and prove yourselves to be true disciples of mine. I like here he, they throw in the word true disciples because lots of people would consider them disciples of Jesus Christ. But I like that Jesus doesn't leave things to chance. He actually tells you if you want to be a true disciple, the, number one, if you wanted to write in your notes there, he says there has to be a real communion or a relationship with me. He actually says you have to abide in me. If you really want to be a disciple, then you're going to have to, to abide in Jesus. What's that mean? Well, he just makes his home in your heart that you make decisions based on, uh, based on down here and not just with up here or not just with your circumstances or your, your, uh, your situation. You want to be a disciple of Jesus. He just tells you right there. He says, first thing, he says, I need you to abide in me. The second thing he says is I need my words to abide in you. If you'll take my word and if you'll hide it in your heart, he says, you won't sin against me. And then not, not only that, he says, whatever you ask, well, whatever you can ask. A lot of people, that they don't understand. They say, well, I don't know why, why my prayers don't get answered. Well, right here, this could be one key. It says that you have to have an abiding relationship. You have to have the word of God hidden in, this, in the heart. And then he says, the third thing here is that if you want to be a true disciple, you have to bear fruit. 
He says, whenever you bear fruit, then it'll, it'll bring glory to God. And then what's the last thing he says? He says, my Father is honored and glorified, and you shall prove yourselves to be true disciples of mine. So three things you could write right there is you've got to have a, a, a fellowship, relationship with God. You've got to have a relationship with His Word, and you've got to be uh, productive. You need to be doing some things for the kingdom of God. Now listen, I know that this, none of this is real happy, cheery, some of this stuff, but this is what cleaning fish is all about. Nobody, nobody watches the fish cleaning Deadliest catch, I don't sit on my couch and watch them clean the fish. No, that's not fun. I'm watching them catch the fish. Woohoo! catching fish. Sitting on a bucket, catching fish is fun. Cleaning fish is not altogether fun. But this is talking about discipleship and being used by the master. Verse number 2, it says, John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. It says, so Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, here it goes again, if you have a relationship with my word, if you hold fast to my teachings. Does that mean read it fast? No. Some of y'all have that down in the morning. Check. Devotion. Done. No, that's not what he means. He's actually talking about holding fast to what you read. You say, you know what, God, you asked me to forgive. I'm going to be forgiving today. Well, that's holding fast to his teaching versus just reading fast. No, Jesus says, listen, uh, I need you to, my word to abide in you. Hold fast to my teachings. Live in accordance with them. Oh, Lord Jesus. Here we go. Show me to the door. Live in accordance with the word of God. You are truly my disciples. There's the word truly again. If you really want to be a true disciple, Jesus is real clear. Hold fast to my teachings. Live in accordance with them. John 13, verses 34 and 35. He says, I give you a new commandment that you should love one another. I'm just taking the scales off, you guys. It's going to hurt, I know. This one here says you've got to love one another. What if I don't like them? Sorry. <laughs> oh, well. He says, I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another the same way that I have loved you. So you should love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. If you keep on showing love amongst yourself. Next thing you could write down here would just be, Love. Well, how do we know what love is? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, Love is patient. Lord Jesus. How many of y'all like this so far? Love is kind. Love believes the best of every person. Oh, that hurts. Don't it hurt? He just cut one of your fins off right there. Right? Just, just very difficult. Love believes the best. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love suffers long. There goes the head. Just, just took the head off right there. Love suffers long. It's patient kind. Well, we could go on. He says, but listen, if you want for people to know that's the way that they're going to know that you're my disciples is, is if you have love for the brethren. I've got to hurry. The last two, it says Luke chapter 14, verses 26 and 27. It says, if anybody comes to me and does not, oh, Lord Jesus, hold the phones. I forgot I put this one on there. If anybody that comes to me does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes. Don't you like when Jesus throws a yes in there? <laughs> He's like, did he just say that? Yes, I just said that. That's what Jesus said. He says, and his own life also, he cannot be 
my disciple. What's Jesus saying there? Is Jesus saying that, that you need to hate your relatives? No. But Jesus is saying that there will be decisions that you have to make. And sometimes your, your, your own relatives may not understand your decision-making process. My own relatives, I'll be real honest with you, whenever we said, hey, we're going to move uh, uh, down south and we're going to start a church with nothing or with nobody, they had questions, comments, and concerns. But there came a point that where we just had to say, I certainly didn't say, well, I hate my mother and my father. But what Jesus is saying here is that, 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 that people in your life, your best friend, uh, they may question the church that you may go to. They may question uh, the money that you may give. They may question uh, uh, the, the time that you invest in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said here, he said, listen, if you want to be a true disciple, a real disciple, then your own life, sometimes you may be asked to lay it down. There may come a day, you know, there's missionaries all across this planet that are faced with the idea or the thought of, of having to lay down their life. What well, he says right here, he says, if you want to be my disciple. In the last part, he says, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The last one, Luke chapter 14, 33, it says, so likewise, whoever of you who does not forsake all, that he cannot be my disciple. So what, what's this all mean? Well, I, I'm, I'm challenging you uh, to, to be a fisher of men to value eternity. And, you know, we talked about that the only thing that you can bring with you to heaven is people. The only thing that you can bring, you can't bring anything with you to heaven except for others. That's it. You can bring others. But, but I don't want us to just go out and, and, and find people but leave them flopping on the bank. Just leave them flip-flopping and never being used for the master. No, I believe Jesus wants to use us to reach other people. He wants to use us to help him. What do we have to do? We have to submit to the cleaning. And it's difficult. Listen, I get, I get mad. I get just as mad as anybody else. Whenever I'm driving or somebody does something wrong to me, uh, I don't want to forgive them. I want to cut them. Come on, there's times I... I'm not going to lie, I'm just like you. I mean, there's times whenever, whenever people rub me the wrong way and people are rude to me. And, 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 and I, but certainly I'm not up here saying that, that I'm better than anybody else. But you understand, it just comes to the fact of, do I want to be used by God? Do I want to be used by Him? Is eternity valuable to me or is my pride valuable? What, what do I hold dear to me? Is my life worth laying down for him? Is he worth it? Is, is his cross worth it? Are people worth it? Because you can go through life, especially in America, very good, very safe, and you can float on the ark of the cross right into eternity. And, and, and all of us will, but I believe it's the will of God for us to do what he said to do. And he said, be fishers of men. But after the catch, be willing to work with people and stick with it. Be willing to, for your own self, your own life, to submit yourselves to the discipleship process. But also, I challenge you to find one person. Just start with one. Jesus started with 12 and he just poured his life into three. Just find one. Say, you know what? I, that person on my job, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stay with them 
And if you invite them to church or if you talk to them about the Lord and they shut you down, I don't believe in blankety blank, blank, blank. Listen, I just, just stick with them. Say, you know what? I'm not going to berate them, but I'm just going to start for the next uh, three months. Every night, I'm going to pray for them. Every night, I'm going to pray for God to open a door for me or somebody else to reach them. And you just start with one person. Just ask God, say, show me one person that I can target and that I can keep throwing the bait in front of their mouth. And eventually, I, I know know they're going to bite. It may take a, a bowling night or it may take a shindig. Eventually, they're going to take the bait and I'm going to bring them onto the ark of the cross and then stay with them and say, now this this is, this is the way, walk you in it. I know that there's a way that's real broad and it seems right to you, but it leads to destruction. There's a narrow path that will lead to everlasting life. This is what you need to do. Take this and go that way. And I challenge you to find people and bring them to a committed relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm done. Let's pray together. I have to pray with you. Close it out. Thank you, Father God, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, that you have called every one of us to be fishers of men. But I thank you, Lord, that there's much work to do after the catch and that we don't want to be a church that's just good at catching people but we want to be a church that's good at cleaning people. We want to be a church that's good at bringing people to a point of use that they're, that they're a blessing to you and that they know how to reach their generation. Father God, that we purpose in our heart this morning to just show us one person. Show me one person over and above the people that we already influence. Show me one person that I can help get down the road towards you to be changed uh, into your image. Thank you, Father God, for the entrance of your word this morning, giving light and giving understanding Thank you, Lord, so much that we desire to be a disciple, a true disciple, a true follower, that we want your word to be hidden in our heart so that we won't sin against you, that we want to abide and have fellowship with you, that we want to love other people so that they'll know that, that we're your disciple. We're willing to give it up, to lay everything down, that we consecrate our life once more to you. And thank you, Lord, for doing it.